Hello everyone, welcome to the Purpose Tune Podcast. The goal of my show is to create valuable content to broaden your knowledge, inspire you, and get you in the right mindset so that you can apply it in your own life to drive impact, generate meaning, and achieve your purpose. My guest today is Jessica Shriak. Jessica has over a decade of experience in managing organizational change in the college environment before creating her own consulting agency to work with social sector organizations like colleges and nonprofits. She advises colleges and nonprofits on planning, project management, and evaluation. Her PhD in educational psychology comes in handy when helping teens collaboratively solve problems and develop a path forward. A dialogue method Jessica has used with more than a thousand people is called Living Room Conversations, a structured conversational model that connects people across differences. Jessica is passionate about using Living Room Conversations to help organizations and individuals reduce isolation resulting from working at home during the pandemic. Please help me welcome Jessica to the show. Hi there. Hi. How are you? I am doing great. Great. How are you, Jessica? I am doing well. Thank you. That's awesome. Thank you so much for... um, joining me this beautiful Saturday uh, in the month of May. (laughs) Yes, it's great to be with you. Um, So we briefly connected uh, a couple of days ago, but prior to that, um, it's been uh, a couple of, uh, well, a couple of months since we've communicated online mm-hmm. but even so the last time I saw you was in person was probably many many years ago right yes yes <laughs> I think so so it is such a pleasure to um to have you on the show and to gather some of your perspective uh as it relates to uh um, how people can tune into their purpose and um drive uh, meaning in their lives so um I wanted to start by asking you uh, this question. Um, How would you describe yourself um, as a professional and then also as a personal um, individual? Mm -hmm. Thank you for asking that. How would I describe myself as a professional? I would say that no matter what I'm working on or who I'm working with, I try to bring a sense of order, a sense of perspective. I try to bring balance and flow to my interactions and really try to uh, show up as my authentic self and try to bring that out in others. So I try to go beyond roles and titles and really just be with people as we work together. And then, of course, I really love to 
bring a sense of execution to my work. So if I work with teams, I like to be the person who makes sure that at, at the end of the day, the work got done. So mm -hmm. that's how I would describe myself as a professional. And then on a personal note, I would say I'm, I'm very interested in the human experience and interested in all of its manifestations, whether that's psychological, spiritual, uh, or related to health and well-being. I'm interested in, in people bringing their whole selves into interactions. That's what really um, drives me and, and makes work exciting for me. That's amazing. Um, thank you for sharing that. Mm -hmm. um, when you say whole self, now the concept of authenticity is has been lately has been an, uh, an intriguing topic for me. Mm -hmm. Could you speak a little bit more about what that means to you? Yeah. So to me, authenticity means showing up um, with your, you know, just as the person you are when you wake up in the morning, maybe with a little more makeup on and your hair done, but, um, <laughs> but you know, the person who has a kid whose house is sometimes messy and who, you know, ha maybe has trouble communicating sometimes, but not trying to hide behind a veneer of uh, a totally put together person. And I would say sharing things about your personal life, of course, with, you know, decorum and, and modestly, etc. but uh, not mm -hmm. sharing everything and being an open book necessarily. But when it's appropriate, sharing with people struggles that you've had as a professional or as a person, when it helps bring out, uh, either helps validate them or helps bring out their own authenticity. I think it's okay to be a person and not, and not have that 40 hour a week, I, you know, I am the consummate professional and, and I, I'm not bringing who I am to work, if that makes sense. Right. Yeah, totally. Um, so I'm here in the Bay Area and a lot of startups are really focusing on bringing their authentic selves to work. Um, so there's this concept of belonging, which is where, um, business leaders um, really encourage the employees to bring their whole self to work uh, without any hesitation um, of showing up um, as they are, right? And mm -hmm. so um, the point there is that they understand belonging is the next, it leads to innovation and growth. It helps the company uh, perform better. And so I know you've done some work in the DNI diversity inclusion mm -hmm. uh, arena. Um, could you share a little bit of your experience about what that's like when you're working with organizational leaders um, and the both of you or you and the group are talking about uh, uh, how diversity inclusion impacts business? Sure. Yes, that is a very uh, generative, fruitful area, I think, for organizations to focus on. Um, and it's essential for business. Mm -hmm. You know, I think that that it really intersects with authenticity, because I think there are um, 
most organizations have a culture and they have protocols in place that sort of mandate with in 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 um, unspoken ways how people should behave and and that doesn't allow people to necessarily bring in their culture they have to adapt to the culture of the organization one of the ways that i have helped other organizations bring a sense of authenticity into the work environment is through a process called living room conversations so hmm. i worked very closely with a chief diversity officer at uh, a college that I worked at, and he was very interested in highlighting the voice of employees and of students and helping them, helping everybody feel really comfortable, but also learn about each other's cultures in a way that was, um, uh, I would say, comfortable. And what we did is we brought people together with a set of ground rules for conversation, and then invited them to share really personal experiences about things like uh, race and ethnicity, um, times that they felt included or not included, and, um, and really get to know each other on a different level. So that's a tool that, that I've used many times at national conferences and within organizations to help people open up in a really safe way through this structured conversation called living room conversations. Wow. That's a great concept. Mm -hmm. um, quite frankly, I actually haven't heard of it. So, mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. so is, is this room, uh, is it a small or a large group? Um, because when you mentioned safe space, I think about yeah. small groups. Yes, yes, exactly. So the living room conversations concept was actually developed by someone. Uh, one of the co-founders is from the Bay Area. Her name is okay. Joan Joan Blades. And she also founded MoveOn.org and Moms Rising. And mm. she is a true innovator in terms of social innovation. So she helped develop this concept of the living room conversation. And at first, these conversations were held just in folks' living rooms, obviously. And, and as, <laughs> as the concept grew, and what's happened now with remote work is that the conversations moved online and they were just as effective online as they were in person. I mean, of course, that's it's a different... Uh, a different feeling, but, um, but they were really effective. And so lately I've been running living room conversations with four to seven people and we do it through zoom and I have co-facilitators who work with me. And if there are more than eight people, we split people out into smaller groups of four five, six, however many people are on a call. And the small group really is the unit where sharing happens very effectively. And I've done this with groups as large as 350 people, but just had people um, at, at tables talk together um, and share their experiences in a small group. So it doesn't work in a large group, but in a small group, it's perfect. I think mm -hmm. that could really be uh, used with a lot of positive impact within organizations, within teams, especially now that we're doing so much remote work. Right, right. So how does um, one, uh, let's say a business leader, incorporate living room conversations? Is that something that uh, they, anyone can start within the organization or does it have to require an organizational development 
consultant or coach to facilitate? What's the structure? Yeah, that's a great question. So with the living room conversations, it's an open source project. So anybody can, can use the materials and they have more than a hundred conversation guides. And some of them Mm. are uh, very much bringing authenticity out in people. For example, uh, they have a conversation guide on mental health. And that's something that is uh, very much, I would say, uh, a concern of organizational leaders is supporting the mental health of employees. So what a leader would do is either tr- have someone in their organization be trained in facilitating those conversations in a large group format or small group format through the living room conversations organization or through other facilitators like me. And, um, and you would have one or more people in the organization then trained probably in HR uh, or organizational development trained to facilitate. And then you can also develop your own conversation topics, but the structure of the conversation is always the same. Mm-hmm. Okay. Got mm-hmm. that. So um, you mentioned briefly about mental health. Yeah. Could you share a little bit about how that plays into the current pandemic as we're seeing, um, you know, a lot of people are, um, you know, staying at home and, um, you know, it's driving, you know, them mm-hmm. crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and sometimes, uh, unfortunately, the environment in which people stay are not healthy for conducive for yes. them in their current situation. So how mm-hmm. do you, um, have you have you worked with, with clients who've shared um, that type of anxiety? Um, and what are some other practices or techniques you've used to uh, to help them cope with those types of situations? It's yeah, a great question. So I have recently been working with a group of colleges and external uh, community organizing groups on something called the Community Healing Collaborative. And what we're finding is that there is pervasive anxiety around being at home during the pandemic. And that's in situations where people already feel uh, feel comfortable they're in general they're they're safe being at home so I'm not sure mm-hmm. what it's like for people who are at home now and, and aren't in the safest situations my guess is that that's exacerbating mental health issues and what we're finding as we're working with people um, actually doing living room conversations is people say all you know all I need is really to get out of my bubble of being at home and I just need to connect with other people. So having online zoom conversations that are at a deeper level where we can talk about things like empathy, we can talk about um, the anxiety people are facing in the situation or how their habits are either being strengthened or diminished while they're working from home. We have these conversations and, and the feedback is people say, I just needed to know that I wasn't alone. And so I think it's the, what, mm-hmm. what I'm seeing is it's the isolation, which is a very unnatural state for human beings. Um, it's no surprise that, that right. in prisons, people are put um, in isolation when they've done something really wrong. Now we're in isolation from each other through no fault of our own, right? So, so this mm-hmm. is um, not not a really natural social situation, and and I think people are really struggling. Right, and also, we're human beings. We're meant to 
socialize and engage with other people. And because we don't have that part in our lives, it makes it even more difficult aside from the people that we're staying with, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. That's an important part of, uh, of the, uh, the equation that um, most people, um, you know, think about. Um, so I want to mm-hmm. move on to talk about your, your uh, company, uh, Clarity yes. Collaborations. Um, I want to know um, why did you choose to start an organization um, and uh, what motivates you um, to start mm-hmm. it? So I had worked inside an organization um, for about 10 years and for about three years, I had thought, you know, the skills that I have, which are in uh, really group facilitation, but also process improvement and project management, I thought those are skills that I could bring out into the marketplace and and really uh, support people with short-term projects um, and and make sure that deliverables were completed and people were happy with with what they had done together. The, those seemed to me like marketable skills, and I really wanted more creative mm-hmm. freedom. So I wanted the freedom to mm-hmm. design, help co-design, co-design with clients, uh, processes, projects that um, would be successful. And so often inside an organization there is a certain amount of bureaucracy and there's also that there's the organizational culture and then there can be team culture and sometimes culture and bureaucracy, not sometimes often, it actually impedes, it impedes the work that a person has been tasked to do. Um, Sometimes a culture facilitates work completion, but sometimes it, it impedes it with red tape. And so I, I thought, with the skills that I have, I'd be able to work on short-term projects with a variety of clients and really produce something, whether it's a report or a new process or um, a, you know, discussions like living room conversations. I would be able to bring something, produce something that people liked, that clients liked, and, you know, they'd be happy and, uh, and, and I would like the variety of work. So, so that's really what motivated me is probably marketable skills plus wanting creative freedom, plus wanting to have, um, my schedule, you know, be, um, more flexible. So I would say those three things. Mm -hmm. Those are, when I think about, um, entrepreneurship, like those are the three, like, they're on the top of my list when, when I tell people I want to de, you know, design my mm-hmm, own company. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so you're on point in terms of, um, you know, um, being an entrepreneur and what that means to you. Yeah. Um, and it's not as hard as, it's not as hard as you think. I mean, the, the most important element of starting a business, I think, is believing that you can do it. And that might sound really uh, trite, but I think it's true. Um, mm-hmm. If you believe that you can do independent work and you don't, um, you don't require that external uh, kind of taskmaster environment to make sure you get work done, then I think it's just it's just a matter of 
connections and knowing your network and knowing what they need and then execution. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this ties uh, to the next question I have here for you, which is um, what are your top three success habits? I know you've mentioned um, execution, believing in, in yourself. Um, are those um, your top three or what would you, uh, how, what, what other habits would you say um, someone would need to have in order to uh, start their business and maintain their business and, um, and then thrive, thrive? Yeah, that's a great question. So I would say the first thing is to know yourself and know what you're bringing to the marketplace. So if you have an advanced degree or if you don't, if you have lots of work experience or you have some skills that are uh, highly sought after or you have skills that you think the world needs, um, I think knowing yourself, that's probably first. And I think working with a coach or, and or doing assessments is really critical there. So that would be number one. And I would say, and then, and then continually learning more about what you're bringing and how effective it is. And then I would say being able to calm, calm down enough to see the bigger picture and see what the marketplace needs. So being able to intuit what, what needs are not only present, but what, what needs should be anticipated for the next five to 10 years. So I, I think that's really, really important. And then I would say uh, being diligent about documenting work. And that can be as simple as documenting um, income that's going out and then what you're spending as a business person. Uh, it's documenting where you are in a project for the team that you're working with and for yourself. And then having a daily, for me, this is, I, I've always been a, a list maker. So having a daily checklist so that I have a big picture. So here are my five projects and the, these are the milestones in each one. And then on a daily basis, what are those things that I have to accomplish? Um, and that's not only work related, that's also personal so that you have the work life, you're focusing enough on your life as well as your work so that things aren't falling apart at home while you're focusing on your business. So I would say those, those are probably right. the three things. That's amazing. Um, so let's see here. You touched on two points that I want to cover. Um, you mentioned about um, having the skills uh, um, that are needed um that, that would be anticipated in the next 10 years or so. How does someone um, identify or know what to anticipate? Because uh, 10 years is, I think it's a long time. <laughs> 10 years is a really long <laughs> the time. The market is continuing. Yeah. <laughs> and the, the market is continuing to change. I mean, as we've seen with the yeah. pandemic, right? I mean, it's um, companies who thrive are those that are comfortable yeah. with change. And so could you speak a little bit yeah. about that? Well, I think there is the relational aspect of owning a business can't be overestimated. I think with good relationships with the leaders in the field that you are trying to serve, 
um, is just getting that, getting feedback from leaders, I think reading widely uh, and not only about the business that you're in, but also about politics. And that can be at the, you know, local, state, national, even international level, depending on what kind of work you're doing. Politics really does influence Mm -hmm. a lot of what we do in terms of funding. So for example, I work with social sector agencies and uh, funding streams um, will affect how much work I can do with those organizations. And so I need to know about what's happening in politics currently. And then I guess, um, just keep continually ask leaders what they're seeing in terms of, um, you know, the strategic planning that they're doing, um, what is not working currently and how that might impact budgets in the future. Um, you know, I, I wouldn't say that Mm -hmm. I have a magic formula for that, but I think good communication and reading widely is, is really critical. Um, and then, and then one lesson I've learned over the last 10 years is not to overbuild, uh, a process, um, not to over-engineer a process that either that, that you employ or as you work with other people, trying to keep your processes flexible, um, is really important and, yeah, so I guess that's how I'd answer that. That's great. Thanks for that. Um, so let's see. The other point you mentioned was about um, being cautious, intertwining your personal and mm. professional lives. Do you believe there is there should be a balance between what happens at work should be bring into your personal lives being an entrepreneur that's a tricky mm-hmm. line to walk right so I'd like to know what your um your mm-hmm. take is on that yeah you know I think um going back to what Stephen Covey said you know decades ago about personal mastery I think that's really critical and when you know yourself and you know what your real intentions are you're able to clearly place value in different areas um, with, you know, with clarity. And I think that if we seek out a, our identity or we, get, we want to get feedback about our identity and get validated through our work, we will throw ourselves into our work and may neglect our, our family life or our personal life. Um, our, our life with our friends. And I think that it, it all depends on where you get your, um, your meaning and your validation from. So I think a person has to be really clear. And this is, this is what's come to me over the last number of years is you, you have to place enough value on family and on personal well-being and on self-care that, um, that your, for example, daily schedule matches up with the, with that value and that intention. Um, if you get a lot of meaning out of work that it's, 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 I mean, it's fine. Um, but if you want to have a healthy personal and home life, then you also need to devote time and energy 
to making that healthy. And I used to think as someone who I, I would describe myself, I used to be probably a bit of a workaholic just because I derived a lot of sense of self out of who I was professionally and the kinds of um, feedback people gave me in the workplace. And I've realized over time, you know, I, I used to think the word self-care, that that was decadent and, you know, you, you don't really need to care so much about yourself. You just need to care about how how well you're doing at work. And and that is a, um, a pretty shallow concept in, in my opinion, because mm-hmm. at any point an organization may give you up or your business may fail or... Um, you know, a pandemic hits and you're not able to work in the same way. And so I really believe that if you can find what gives your life meaning, you can make sure that you're clear about it and you are devoting enough time to those things that give you meaning and that, that are valuable to you, that you won't get um, overturned when there's when a pandemic hits or you get laid off or you you know don't make the profits that you wanted um in a month you know mhm mm-hmm. yeah definitely um early in my career i had made the huge mistake of um not taking care of myself and really just working my butt off until mm-hmm. I can't anymore. Um, I would work, you know, 50, 60 hours every week uh, for, you know, an extended amount of time and um, not really focusing on myself. And what I've learned uh, through that experience was that I wasn't as effective as I could have been had I taken more time to mm-hmm. take care of myself, um, either emotionally or physically through fitness, um, uh, so that I could be, so that I can make an, a, a a positive impact in 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 my relationships and at work. So um, that's really important. What you just said about you know the focus on on self and um, ensuring that um, although work is important, um, you know we shouldn't neglect um, you know our mm-hmm. state of being as well. And I think. Um... You know, my background is in psychology. So if you open a psychology textbook, an introductory psychology textbook, and you look um, in in the index and you see all of the words that start with, with the word self, um, self-esteem, mm-hmm. self-concept, uh, the focus on self can be healthy or it can be unhealthy. And I think in in America, in, in Western culture, the focus on the self is, is pretty deep and pretty intense. And I think self-care has to actually involve other people. And we can think about self-care also as other care. So as we are, you know, trying to live a healthier life with more well-being and more meaning, it also means giving up some of your time and energy to help others, which creates, I think, a really positive impact on our mental and physical health as well. So uh, self-care is really mm-hmm. important, but I also see it as other care and that those two things are really intertwined. Yeah, definitely. Um, you mentioned uh, Stephen Covey, and as you know, I 
currently work yes. at uh, Franklin Covey. Uh, we just um, recently launched the 30th anniversary edition of the Seventh Habits yes. of Highly Effective People, which is, as you know, one of the very few business books that, um, you know, is essential um, and has made uh, a tremendous impact in people's lives. Um, so, um, yeah. speaking of books, <laughs> do you have any uh, recommendations for um, self-improvement um, or personal development, um, how to grow your business? Or Well, you know, I will say that um, I'm, I, I don't read a lot of business books. Um, I did when I started out, I started out as a process improvement coordinator, um, at one of my first jobs Mm and, and, um, I read, you know, business bills and, um, business books. The most interesting book that I've read in the last year is, is a book called Goodbye Things by a Japanese minimalist. And the reason I think it's such a great book is because he talks about getting rid of everything that's not essential. And I actually think it applies really well in in life and in work. And by that I mean that when we focus on what we act what we actually need to do, not about self-promotion, not about um, you know, worrying about what other pe- how other people are going to see us. You know, I need to buy this thing. I need to show up in this outfit. Um, I need to have read X Y Z book. But if we can get rid of everything that isn't serving us, and we're focused on what's essential, we'll be happier and we'll be more effective. And that's his argument. And I, I really buy into that idea. And also, it helped me declutter my house, which is really nice. <laughs> so i the past 10 years i've moved uh Mm -hmm. quite often um and i would have like Mm -hmm, these stacks of mm -hmm. books that i carry with me right and each time when i move i would have to haul uh, these books with me and it just became the journey just became too brutal that i decided to donate my books and um, one thing that I've done is um, either turn to audiobooks or go on YouTube and just listen to the audio mm-hmm. uh, version of Yeah, that's book. a great idea. <laughs> and what's nice about about it too is that you can actually listen um, while you're, you know, multi multitasking mm-hmm. like cooking mm-hmm. or like you know, getting mm-hmm. dressed in the morning to go to work or driving to work while you you know while you're turning on the audio and that's yeah that's yeah that's wonderful <laughs> i sometimes listen to uh french news while i'm cooking so i can keep up with my french language yeah interesting i do so do you speak french fluently yeah yeah i did not know that i'm learning spanish now <laughs> with my 7 year old daughter which is really fun too You know, I, I wish I had carried on Spanish. Um, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, but I studied abroad uh, my sophomore year uh, in yes. college, which is where we met, right, during my undergrad years. And um, and I did that for three and a half months, which is a semester, and was completely emerged in the culture, the language. And then when I came back, there wasn't a use for it. 
And so I stopped practicing the language. Now I've lost. <laughs> I've lost yeah, it. yeah. I've lost I would recommend uh, listening to the news. I would recommend movies or books in Spanish because it will come right back. Yeah. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, I yeah. When I start, when I can tell I'm losing <laughs> my French language skills, I immediately just start to listen to Latin. It works. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, so let's, so let's, um, visit the, the, uh, entrepreneur, mm -hmm. uh, journey, uh, mm -hmm. that you experience, um, obviously being the owner of your own company is, um, there are definitely some tough times. Um, I'm curious, how do you push through mm. the worst of times? Well, my business is a year old. So, so far there haven't been many tough times, which I feel really, really grateful for. But, you know, <laughs> with the pandemic, um, there, you know, I'm mm. not sure what that's going to do to the kind of consulting that I do with nonprofits um, and it's social sector organizations. Uh, I, I don't think it will be especially positive for consultants. And so that's something that I'm thinking about now, pivoting to helping for-profit organizations use some tools like living room conversations to help deepen relationships with their employees, um, employee to employee relationships. I think that after this mm -hmm you know, pretty significant period of remote, remote work, people will want to reconnect and they'll naturally do that on their own, but reconnecting in a healthy way is, is something, something else, I think. And so I'm considering helping people, uh, get a living room conversations program going in their organizations. And so just developing a plan for doing that and about to promote that. So, that's that's where I'm going because I'm anticipating a downturn with some of my typical clients. Mm -hmm. Yeah, like we've all been mm -hmm. experiencing at the moment as well. Um, I know that you often practice mm -hmm. meditation and mindfulness, um, and in the so I'm really into fitness, and um, I'm beginning to see a trend around meditation and incorporating mindfulness into your workouts. Um, I've certainly been, you know, there are days where I've been at the gym where I'm just mindlessly mm -hmm. working out, right? Without really thinking about what I'm doing because I'm either distracted or, or you know, or listening to my music and, and that's more of a focus mm -hmm. for me than my actual workout. Um, so could you speak a little bit more that about um, how meditation and mindfulness um, impacts organizational culture. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. Let's start with well, that. I know how it's impacted some higher education organizations because that I, I came from a, a college and how it, how it impacts students. I can talk a little bit about that. Um, what, what, yeah. Yeah. So sure, when, yeah, when students are exposed to mindfulness practices in class, they often ask if they can do more of it. So when instructors use um, 
you know, a short mindfulness exercise, a one to five minute exercise at the beginning of class or before an exam, students are very appreciative of that practice. And there are people who are, I would say, skeptical or they see mindfulness as coming from, uh, you know, maybe a Buddhist tradition and they may be skeptical about that. Um, But when people practice it, they realize how beneficial it is. And I think people see the benefits of it very quickly. And what for for me, um, practicing, I was a regular meditator for a number of years, and I'm able to pretty quickly get into a calm state of mind, even though I'm, I'm a pretty high energy person, but I can get into a calm state of mind quickly because I had that foundation of an ongoing practice. And as people start to embrace mindfulness more, I think, and the pandemic is, is definitely helping with this, people are seeing the benefits of slowing down mm-hmm. and seeing how they can be more effective doing less. And again, that's why I liked the book Goodbye Things, because doing less with more focus can often get results that are better than anything you anticipated because the, you know, the, the arrow of your attention is so much sharper and, um, without the distraction, it it can create great work. Whereas, um, having, not having a mindful practice and doing tons of multitasking can result in a proliferation of work, but not necessarily the best work. Yeah, that's, uh, you hit the nail on that. Um, So in my current work, we often talk a lot about what are, what is one or two things that I can focus on a daily basis that will move Mm -hmm. the needle closer to my goal um, in the midst of the, the, uh, Mm -hmm. the the chaos, the little Mm -hmm. things that I also have to do. And um, you speak directly to that point, um, which is nice because um, it's helped me since I've implemented this technique. What I've realized is that I'm actually moving closer to my goal than not having a strategy um, at all. And so um, I think that that's an important concept that uh, mm-hmm. my listeners mm-hmm. should keep that in mm-hmm. mind. <laughs> yeah. And, and I think, I think in American culture and Western culture, more American than Western culture, there is such an emphasis on speed mm-hmm. and um, I think speed can, speed has a place, but speed and clarity is much different than speed and non-clarity and speed and non-clarity usually ends up being exhausting <laughs> and doesn't produce what you want it to produce. Right. Yeah. Another great point. Um, and, it, and it's another, for me, it's another way of saying yes, slow exactly. down to go fast, which is, a, you know, to your point about processes, right? Slow down, meaning how can we strategically think about these processes that work? And then once we solidify yeah. the process, how do we go fast to implement the processes into an organization um, to uh, achieve yes, the results that exactly. we like to exactly. achieve? Exactly. 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 Right? There's also an <laughs> adage in process improvement 
that says you can't create innovation on top of um, lack of process. So first you need to standardize work and and then you can be creative. And I really mm-hmm. like that idea. And I've, I've seen in practice, for example, in uh, strategic planning, people really want to do something great and do something amazing. But if they don't have the foundations built, that is not only difficult, but I think can be counterproductive. Because if you try to do something too creative and too innovative and pushing the envelope without a foundation, it can feel so unreachable or you make, you make just, you make some progress, but then you have to take two steps back that uh, it's frustrating for everybody and people are less likely to try to work with you on a future project if they're not, um, if they don't feel confident in what you're doing. And so I think innovation is, is fabulous, either if you have no foundation at all and you just are creating something totally new or uh, <laughs> if you have a solid foundation mm-hmm. on which to build. But when, it, when you have a foundation and it's shaky, innovation is not going to work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a great point. Um, so after hearing a bit more about your background and um, your perspective on um, building a business and, and, and how you deal with challenging times, what would you, throughout your career, what would you, what would you say are, are one or two of your uh, most rewarding uh, moments and has that helped um, generate meaning mm-hmm. in your in your own life? That is a great question. I, I guess there are two two moments that felt especially one one felt very meaningful, adding to meaning in my life, and the other one just felt highly productive, and I really liked that. So. Um, so the pr- productive one first, <laughs> I, I helped a college to achieve a 10-year accreditation through, a, I would say, a very well-designed, well-managed process of um, an organizational assessment and then uh, a number of internal audits and then planning for a large external review um, that that was, I was able to work with actually hundreds of employees and some students on making that happen. And so it was a collaborative effort and then it was a very successful effort. So that, that was a highlight. And then I would say Mm -hmm. another highlight was with my friend, uh, Tiffany Wilson Worsley running the first, uh, living room conversation on race and ethnicity in the country here in Minneapolis. And, that was mm-hmm. really um, it was a wonderful experience, and then it added meaning to my life, knowing that I was able to do something new that also added meaning to other people's lives. So it was seven people who did not all know each other, and we were all ha- having you know some of us never met before, being able to talk about something like our experience with racism or witnessing racism and and end after two hours mm-hmm. feeling like we had a new understanding of race in America. I mean, that was 
that was very meaningful to me. And, and I still am really proud of that. Mm -hmm. That's amazing. Um, speaking of conversations, I think the one thing I like about the living room, con the living room conversations concept is that when we're sitting in a small group um, around strangers, it's a chance for us to show who we are and get those deep, meaningful conversations going, right? Because I, I don't know about you um, or about my listeners, but I'm someone who um, seek for meaningful, positive mm -hmm. interactions with people. And without having that, that sort of defeats the whole purpose of what meaning mm -hmm. is mm -hmm. in my own life, right? And so um, it seems like throughout your, your life, you've been guided by your deep mm -hmm. passion for humanity, um, what race and racism means for people and how do you improve community mm -hmm. so that everyone could thrive. Um, what advice would you give to my listeners in terms of how they can um, you know, create meaning in their own lives um, or um, you know, identify their purpose and, and, mm -hmm. and have that uh, guide mm -hmm. them throughout their entire life? Well, I think the first thing is that you have to get really quiet. And that is not necessarily comfortable, mm -hmm. but I think it's necessary. So you could do lots of assessments, and I'm an assessment junkie. I love assessments. Um, it really, and my, my, uh, party trick is being able to guess people's MBTI type, um, you know, within the first few minutes of meeting them. That's really fun for me, uh. <laughs> but that, that is, you know, the, those assessments can be a bit limiting. They can either be very facilitative of mm -hmm. understanding what your strengths are and your values and, and, and helping you find, find meaning in your life. But I also think there's just a, a level of, quietness that allows you to realize that purpose and that unique value that you bring to the world that isn't possible through, you know, paper and pencil tests that other people have developed um, that put you in a box. So mm -hmm. I would say the first thing is probably right. getting quiet and that could be a mindfulness practice. It could be a silent retreat uh, it could be being in nature. It could mm -hmm. be being in a really good, deep and meaningful conversation with other people about an important topic um, or all of those. And yeah, I, mm -hmm. I think that's the first step. And sometimes it's, you know, for some people, it's very clear what their meaning in life is. And, you know, I, you know, so I've been mm -hmm. a or I want to be a doctor and, and, you know, like someone knows from the time they're 10 years old, they want to be a doctor and that's fine. Um, but there are a lot <laughs> of us and I say us because this describes me too, who have said, so what do I really want to be when I grow up? I mean, even when I was 30 years old, what, you know, what do I want to be when I grow up mm -hmm. and still now? And so I, I think, um, mm -hmm. it just depends on who you are, but, but if you're not, I mean, I think one thing's clear, if you're not seeking meaning, 
some somehow in some way in your life, you're probably not going to find it unless it hits you over the head. And that would probably be a big, uncomfortable experience. Mm -hmm. And that does happen. Um, Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's, uh, that's, that's great to, to hear. Um, I, I, I've been on my free time, mm-hmm. um, or spare time. <laughs> um, I've been, you know, cause with this pandemic, right? Like we, we have mm-hmm. more time than usual to, to focus on ourselves. And I've been just listening to, um, personal development, uh, coaches on YouTube and, um, and, and the consistent message that, um, getting from these folks are um uh either you don't have a you're you're too you know we are there's two types of people in this world the first um are people who are walking uh around uh without a purpose and then the second type are people who have a purpose and for those folks who don't have a purpose they're just aimlessly walking around to something uh uh, it's like a, a, a dramatic event in their life happens and then mm-hmm. they're they're having to switch gear and really and then mm-hmm. refocus on what what life means to them and so um and i love your examples about um you know meditation spending time with nature um or just staying mm-hmm. still and observing your thoughts and in in and your current living situation i think one thing that's nice about um, this pandemic for me at least is that uh, I'm able mm-hmm. to um, explore nature um, by myself mm-hmm. um, because of social distancing of course um, and it's it's um, it's made a, a a positive impact um, in my life um, it, there's something about being out there um, you know being still and just enjoying nature that does something yes. to you that really enriches your spirit. And when, before, you know, this pandemic, I was always on the go. Um, you know, I would work and then hit the gym mm-hmm. and then work and then sleep and then repeat. And there wasn't really much, I didn't set aside enough time to, to, to really focus on myself. And so, um, and with, everything that's happened in my life that I would consider to be negative. I'm looking for um, something positive that came out of it. And so um, I guess for me, mm-hmm. it's sort of a mindset, mindset change, which has dramatically helped me in terms of mm-hmm. how I see things in my own world. Um, and so thank you for sharing those examples, which I yeah. think would be valuable. And I, I bet a lot of listeners have had a similar experience recently, too, where they have that unstructured time just to be. And there's nothing more. I mean, people could tell you about that all day. But when you have the experience of, of sitting of uh, quiet, that it brings just another level of, of, of being, I guess to your life and that's eye-opening sometimes yeah yeah totally well we are about uh that reaching that mark uh i do you have any additional thoughts or Mm -hmm. comments you'd like to share before we? you know i like what you said about going slow to go fast and i would just encourage 
your listeners to um, be curious about that and how could they incorporate that into their own lives? Because I really think it's related to personal effectiveness and business effectiveness. So um, of everything that we talked about, that Mm -hmm. phrase to me sums up, uh, I guess, what I believe and, and what I think helps make life more meaningful. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Thank you for that insight. Um, where can people find you, your work? Uh, if they want to con- contact you to learn more about your business. Yeah, you are, I would say uh, online, my LinkedIn, if someone wanted to send me a message on LinkedIn, that would be great. And I also have a website. It's clarity-collab.com. And so either of those places. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, well, hey, guys, this has been an amazing talk with Jessica. Um, she's um, just an amazing person to know. I highly suggest that uh, uh, if you haven't um, yet, do feel free to check out her website and learn more about who she is on LinkedIn. And um, yes, it is. I believe yeah. your contact is on yep. there, too, right? Your email. Um, so if if, if if you want to contact Jessica, her contact information is on her LinkedIn profile as well. Um, Jessica, thank you again for um, participating in this um, uh, this chat. I really do enjoy uh, our conversation, and um, I wish you the best of luck in your um, you know in in your uh, journey uh with your your company as well as yeah, everything else that's yeah. happening thank right you. now <laughs> thank you so much thanks for having me on your show and um thank you yeah yeah okay it's a pleasure okay well um that's it folks thanks for listening and um we'll, we'll see you next time bye